Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. And welcome to part three of Psalm 119 in our regular slot of From the Archive Sermons. Uh, we got Jonathan Thomas again speaking to us, opening up Psalm 119. And this week it is the sensitive, delicate subject of suffering in the Christian life and how Christians can respond to that in light of what we find in scriptures in God's word. This isn't a simple or an easy topic to cover, and I'm really grateful for how John does it with gentleness, humility and grace, but ultimately in how he points us to the promises of God's word, gives Christians something solid to lean on when the dark days of life inevitably come calling. I don't have anything more to say, so I'll just shut up and hand over to Jonathan. Christopher Ash, in his commentary on Job, uh, says this. He says, there's two ways of discussing the problem of suffering. There is the armchair questioner and there is the wheelchair questioner. There's the armchair questioner and the wheelchair questioner. Some of us come to the problem of questioning like an armchair discussion. It's an intellectual exercise. We'd like to know the philosophical implications of why we suffer. Whereas others of us come in wheelchairs. Uh, we come having suffered. And it's not just an intellectual or philosophical exercise, but it is a question that has desperate implications for us. And for some of us this morning, the issue of suffering is an armchair question. Um, either you haven't suffered seriously yet, or you're not suffering at the moment, um, but you will suffer. That is the way of the world. Um, and so I want to prepare you to suffer. Others of you this morning are metaphorically wheelchair sufferers. You have suffered or you are suffering at the moment. Some of you are suffering and we can see that you're suffering. Others of you are suffering and it's hidden and no one knows. And for you, it's a wheelchair question. It's a desperate question. And one of the things I've been trying to do in this series on Psalm 119 is to show us that the Psalms teach us how to feel. The Psalms teach us how to have emotions. And one of the things I've tried to show is that when you read the Psalms, you've got to understand the tune. Don't just understand the words, but understand the tune. And today, Psalm 119 is huge, and the tune changes. And I want to look at the sections in Psalm 119 that are written in the minor key. I want to look at the sections of Psalm 119, which are the blues, which are suffering, and help us. Because that's a big theme within Psalm 119. Let me just show you some verses. Um, Psalm 119 and verse uh, 19 says this, I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. Or verse 22, remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Look at the very next verse, verse 23. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Uh, zip forward to verse 42. 
Then I will answer those who taunt me, for I trust in your words. Verse 50, my comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. And perhaps most importantly, verse 71, a very important verse. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It's a huge issue, suffering, and it's big in Psalm 119. And the section I want to open up this morning um, is one of the last sections that begins in verse 145. 145. Let me uh, read out verses 145 to 152. We're just going to walk through them this morning. Psalm 119, verse 145. I call with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who do devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Here's my first point this morning. All who suffer can cry out to God. All who suffer can cry out to God. Did you see that? This is the section of crying. Verse 145, I call with all my heart. Verse 146, I call out to you, save me. It is okay to call out to the Lord. As Keith shared that moment, his thought was calling out to the Lord. And the Lord came to him. And in fact, this calling out is intense. Look at verse 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. How many of you know that experience? Well, you can't sleep in. You can't stay in bed. You wake at 4.30 in the morning and you cry out. Or verse 148. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night. How many of you at the moment just can't sleep? You're hoping that the tablets can make you sleep, but it's not refreshing. You are just desperate for sleep. And in the midst of those hours in the night, the minutes become hours and the hours become days. And you just wish that the clock would hit seven o'clock and you can get up. The night time is the worst time to be suffering. And the psalmist says, it's okay to cry out. The psalms teach us it's okay to cry out. One of the books I've really been trying to encourage us as a church to read is Invest Your Suffering by Paul Marlard, one of the best books I've read on suffering. Paul is a pastor, and um, over 20 years ago, uh, as his wife uh, was giving birth, I think, to their third child, um, she came down with um, some chronic condition. They still don't know what it is. Um, she's on file in London where they hope one day this genetic condition uh, will be marked. It's like MS, but extremely painful. Um, Beck and I stayed with them in a house in Arbristwith one summer, um, and she is a beautiful lady, but is confined to this walking stick on good days, wheelchairs on difficult days, and has this constant source of pain. And the book follows their story of suffering. And 
Paul Marlard says this, I want this quote to come up. To be honest, during the last 20 years, there have been times when my faith has seemed frail and fragile and almost ready to collapse. Some of us this morning are in positions where our faith is frail and fragile and we're almost ready to collapse. Another book that I read this year that really struck me was a book called Wednesdays Were Pretty Normal. And Wednesdays Were Pretty Normal is about an American um, who was starting off in his young family. One day his two-year-old had a rash and they were a bit worried about it, so they went to see the doctor. The doctor was concerned about the rash and so they were rushed down to the hospital. And when they looked at this rash, they realized it wasn't a rash. It was something more serious. Three hours later, they had the news. It's leukemia. He has cancer. And Wednesdays were pretty normal is the story of a two and three-year-old having chemotherapy and all the agonies associated with that. And in his book, Wednesdays were pretty normal, he has an extended section where he looks at Jacob wrestling with God. Do you remember the story? God comes to Jacob and he wrestles with him. And one of the big points he makes in the book is this, is many of us, when it comes to suffering, we want to box God. We want to hit him and push him away. And he said, actually, the Bible says we need to wrestle with God. We need to grapple with God. We need to struggle with God. We need to cry out to God. There's a section in Psalm 119 which Spurgeon calls the midnight of the psalm. I just want to read another section where you get to the heart of the psalmist. The midnight of the psalm comes in verse 81. 81. This really is the low point in the psalm in terms of suffering, but as well one of the highest. Verse 81. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. Do you know that feeling? You're desperately trying to find something from God and your eyes are failing. They're so tired. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I'm like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. If you're suffering this morning and you can't sleep, you can cry out of God. The Psalms teach us, don't put on a face, don't put on a brave face, don't think God will judge you. God wants you to call out to him. You see, part of what the Holy Spirit does in our life, according to the New Testament, is this. He gives us groans that we can pray with when we don't have words. And he helps us to cry out in our spirit, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. All who suffer can cry out to God. But here's the second point this morning. All who suffer can look to God's promises. Let's go back to our section at hand and back to verse 149. Listen to how the psalmist talks to God. Verse 149 and 150. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who divide wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. One of the things we've learned over the last two weeks 
is that when the psalmist talks about law and precepts and commands, and in particularly love, he's talking about the covenant. And one of the things I've been wanting you to understand um, is what one man, Peter Mead, says, is the covenant is the spine of the Bible. The covenant is what holds the Bible together. And in understanding the covenant, you understand the Bible. That God comes to Abram and gives him a promise. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will make you into a nation. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. One of the blessings and one of the covenants comes later on in Genesis 15, where he says this, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. That was always the covenant. The covenant was always about God being for them and God being their reward. It's what holds the whole Bible together. So when the psalmist is praying and when he's going on about the laws and the precepts and the commands and God's love, he's talking about the covenant. He's coming back to God's promise. So again, back to what Keith shared this morning. What did Keith hear the Holy Spirit whisper to him? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's the covenant. That is the covenant. And in our moments of suffering, we can look to God's promises. A couple of years ago, when we went through the book of Malachi, one of the things I tried to teach in that series was often we're disappointed not with God, but a misunderstanding of God. And this can be very difficult for us as Christians. Sometimes we think God has said things that he hasn't said. We're not trusting in his covenant, but we're trusting in things that we think are his covenant. So we put words in the mouth of God like, God will definitely heal me. Or God won't put me through anything I can't handle. Or God will bless me now with money and family. God never said those things. We need to know what God actually said. We need to know the actual covenant. We need to know his actual promises. We need to explore passages like Romans 8 and Revelation 21. Ultimately, in our struggles in this life, God may heal us now, and we rejoice for those what I'm going to call small victories. And whilst God can heal now, we know that he will heal one day, ultimately. The promise he's given us is to be with us now, and to heal us in eternity. And there may be other healings physically, emotionally, psychologically, relationally. But those are never promised. When they happen, we rejoice and we pray for them. But we don't rely on them. Because if we do, we end up disappointed with God. But we're not disappointed with God. We're disappointed with a misunderstanding of God. You see, what we need to do is look to the covenant and look to the fulfillment of the covenant. Who was the one that the covenant looked forward to? Who was the one who was going to make sure that we would be God's and we would be loved by God? Well, it was Jesus. If we want comfort in suffering, we need to look to him. How God doesn't remain in heaven and look at our suffering, but God entered our world and came into our suffering. That Jesus grew as a boy and grew as a man and knew relational suffering. He knew what it was for people in his family to say, oh, he's insane, ignore him. He knew what it was to have best friends steal from him and betray him. He knew what it was to be falsely accused and tried unjustly. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to be slandered. He knew what it was to be beaten. He knew what it was to be killed. Do you know, 
when we suffer, we have a God who suffers with us. But we also have a God who has suffered without us. He has suffered beyond anything we will ever suffer. But much more amazing than that, we have a God who suffered for us. So that we can be with him in our suffering and we can be with him in eternity. And so when we suffer, we can know God's promises. But it's not just intellectual. And here's the third point, and this is where I'm going to spend my time on this morning. And I'm going to be honest, all I'm going to do is tell you stories this morning. That's all I'm going to do is tell you stories. But it's this, all who suffer can know God's nearness now. Weren't you just blessed by that story of Keith? When his friend came along and put her arm around him. There are different ways we can know the nearness of God now. But even in suffering, we can. Have a look back at verse 151 and 152. It's an interesting contrast. In the, in the Psalms, a lovely device, a couplet and a lovely device of the way things go together. He's talked about in 100, verse 150, those who divide wicked schemes are near. You get this idea that the suffering is getting worse and more intense. And then in verse 151, he says, yet you are near, O Lord. And all your commands are true, the covenant. Long ago, when I was converted, I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. You know, no matter how near the suffering comes, no matter how near your troubles draw, God draws nearer still. God draws nearer still. Paul Mallard in his book says this, and it's so helpful he says, suffering can harden our heart or it can soften them so that we seek God's grace and help. When we suffer, we have a decision to make, and it is a decision. We have a choice to make. Will I box God and push him away, or will I wrestle with God and be embraced by him? I was listening to a song last night by you 2 and it has this line, a broken heart is an open heart. And it's so true, isn't it? How many of you have seen people who, after they have suffered, are far more compassionate, far more suffering, far more understanding? How many of you who are long in the tooth and have been around churches for years see young pastors and go, they haven't suffered yet, so they can't take care of me. But when they've suffered, then they'll be a good pastor. And there's truth in that. There's truth in that. There's something about suffering that God can use. And I think that helps us understand passages like that we know God uses all things for the good of those who love him and even suffering. Ligon Duncan, in his book called Does Grace Grow Best in Winter, it's a great title, isn't it? Does Grace Grow Best in Winter, quotes James 5.13 and says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Suffering will be lost on us if it does not drive us into the arms of Jesus. Suffering will be lost on us if we're separated from the one who ought to be the delight and desire of our soul. God doesn't want us just to wait for heaven. God wants us to run to him now. God wants us to wrestle with him now. God wants us to experience his covenant love now. But that will not include complete understanding. And that is where we struggle, isn't it? Because we want to know why. 
We want to know how long. How long, O Lord? Again, Paul Marlard writes this. One of the most comforting things that Edry and I have come to learn is that we don't have to understand everything God is doing in order to trust Him. We need to understand the covenant. We need to understand Jesus. We need to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, He was able to say, paid in full. That when He promised He was going to prepare a place for us, He really was. If it was not so, He would have told us. When He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. He meant it. And because of his death and resurrection and ascension, we can trust that he's not only with us, waiting for us in heaven, but he's with us now by his Holy Spirit and with his church, and he will draw near and comfort us. Michael Kelly, in his book, Wednesdays Were Pretty Normal, when he's talking about his son suffering from cancer, it's one thing to read a book about someone who suffered. It's another thing to read a book about someone who watches their wife suffer. It's something different still to read a book who watches a two-year-old suffer. And he really struggles. And Michael Kelly writes this. What if our definition of faith is wrong? What if we've been putting faith in our own ability to have faith? What if real faith is not necessarily absent of questions and doubt? What if real faith is more about what we do with doubt than whether we have it? Some of us at the moment are wrestling and struggling and doubting and questioning and feeling guilty about it and therefore are being pushed away from God. What you see with the psalmist here is, did you notice, they're just couplets all the time. He'll say about the struggle and then he'll say, but I trust in your word. He'll say about all the affliction that is coming, he'll say, but I come to your precepts. Here's the thing, we question and we struggle and we hurt and we strive, but we come back to the covenant, to the promise to Jesus and say, I don't understand it all, but I know that Jesus suffered. I know that Jesus died for me. And I know that the Bible promises me that there's one day where there'll be no more tears, no more death, and no more suffering for the old order of things has gone away. And you are with me now. You see, Psalm 119 is not armchair theology. This is real theology. Do you know some of you have come under the influences of idiots in Learjets? And you're an idiot for coming under their influence. If a pastor has a Learjet, it's not because God is blessing them, it's because you're idiots. And those people that go around the world saying, you can be healed all the time and come to me and you'll have all the blessings and all the money that you want are lying wolf imposters that need to be shown for who they are. You see, anybody in a Learjet can say, life is great, life is easy. But it's only those that walk with a limp can say verse 71 it was good for me to be afflicted so that i might learn your decrees there's something about the real christian the genuine believer that when we suffer we are drawn near to our lord deeper into his arms and as we do that we search his word and prayerfully prayerfully we find him it breaks my heart when people are suffering and they box and punch God and say, no, no way. But yet it equally breaks my heart when people suffer and they're not willing to grapple. They're not willing to grasp. They're not willing to wrestle with God. And they put it off and put it off and put it off. God is inviting us 
Come and wrestle. Come and struggle. This book is balm to the soul. It is our medicine. Paul Marlard shares times where he really struggled, where he saw his wife's condition deteriorating, when they saw that there was no medical answer. He talks about nights where he couldn't sleep, where he just asks, why me? Why me? Why my wife? Why my kids? And he talks about a night where it was ten past four in the morning, and he still hadn't slept. And the Lord brought to his mind a psalm that said this. As for God, sorry, it's not on the screen. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. And he talks about how his heart was flooded with peace. Do you know, if you turn to God in his word, by his spirit, he will flood your heart with peace. And in some of the most difficult situations, you will know his closeness. Christopher Ash, in his commentary on Psalm 119, the book Bible Delight, says this, like a falling mountaineer clinging to his rope, the psalmist knows that the word of God is the only tie to safety. When we are suffering and when we are struggling, this book is our only hope. For in it we find the covenant, in it we find Jesus, in it we hear the voice of God. We're not looking for platitudes. We're not looking for that killer verse that we can bring out. We're looking for a person. We're looking for Jesus. We're searching for him. We're hunting for him. We devour this book cover to cover until we find him. And he draws near to us by his spirit. Back to Michael Kelly with his two-year-old and three-year-old. He writes about this and says, As I have so many times since that day, He talks about a very difficult night when his son was in so much pain. He said, I flipped through the pages of my Bible, not really knowing what I was looking for. A definition, a clarification, or maybe something just to make me feel better about my single twine of belief that was enabling me to put one foot in front of the other. Maybe what I was really looking for was selfishly some evidence that God was not mad at me for barely hanging on. What I found was not a definition, but a story. The story of the gospel. That's what he found. Was not a single verse, but the story of salvation. The story of God's unfailing love. The story of the covenant all the way through. For those of you this morning who think this sermon is an armchair sermon, and you haven't suffered yet, you will suffer. And I want to prepare you for that. So when that day comes, you will turn to God in his word. And you will have the rope to cling on to. And you will have the arms of Jesus. And for those of you this morning who are struggling, I want to throw you a lifeline and say God knows and God understands. And God wants to speak to you. And God wants to comfort you. Do you know, one of the most intelligent men in the world in some senses was Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs uh, brought Apple and all of his products around the world. And when you read uh, the biography of Steve uh, Jobs, it's fascinating. He's such an intelligent man, knows exactly what he wants. But the tragic thing about him is when he was diagnosed with cancer, he refused to listen to medical professionals. And he was convinced he could deal with his cancer through diet and different things like this. And that's how he died. The most intelligent and innovative man in the world 
made probably the most stupid decision. Some of us are Christians and we are highly intelligent. We are very clever people. And the balm of our soul is here and we don't turn to it. Just like Steve Jobs not taking the medication that he needed, we end up not taking what God has for us. As it used to say in the chapels, and I've been so encouraged to learn this, Mothion grass, the medicines of grace. They're all here for us. God wants to speak with us. And do you know what? When there are saints who have walked that path like Keith Thomas this morning, it blesses us, didn't it? We could have had other people. We could have had Peter Jackson up to tell a very similar story. Some of you, I'm sure, would love to come up and share. And there's a lovely verse, verse 74, that says this. I love verse 74. Verse 74 says this. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me. What are they seeing? A man on top of the world or a man suffering? A man suffering. Isn't that amazing? That's why we clapped this morning. We rejoiced in seeing a man suffer because God was with him. Because God was with him. And so what I want to do for our last time until the kids come through that door and stop me, I'm going to share stories with you of people who have suffered and have experienced God. Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller was a German anti-Nazi theologian who preached against the racism and against the Holocaust. And he was caught and he was in prison during World War II. He spent eight years in prison, including in Dachau. He spent large periods of time in solitary confinement. I think our generation has no idea, do we, of what they suffered in those camps. This is what Martin Niemöller wrote. And he said this, um, and it'll come up on the screen. What did this book, the Bible, mean to me during the long and weary years of solitary confinement and then for the last four years at Dachau? The Word of God was simply everything to me. Comfort and strength, guidance and hope, master of my days and companion of my nights, the bread that kept me from starvation and the water of life that refreshed my soul. I remember as a teenager reading the books of Richard Wurmbrandt, a uh, Polish pastor, isn't it? Is he Polish or Romanian? Romanian, who was imprisoned. And he didn't have the scriptures, but thankfully he'd memorized the scriptures. I remember reading a book where he'd written sermons to preach to the angels in solitary confinement. And I remember as a teenager being challenged, if I don't memorize scripture now, if there ever comes a time when I won't have the Bible, how will I remember it? One of the things when I visit people who are going very close to the point of departing and being with the Lord is the scriptures that come off their lips from their memories. Read this book, remember this book, devour this book, eat this book, because the words of life are in there. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he didn't have an easy life. He didn't just sit in a nice office writing one of the best allegorical works of Christian fiction ever. No, no, he spent, in total, 12 years in prison for his faith. And during those 12 years, he had four children. This is how he describes his experience, John Bunyan, of Pilgrim's Progress fame. 
The parting with my wife and poor children hath often been to me in this place as pulling of flesh from the bones, especially my poor blind child. It would break my heart to pieces. There's suffering. There's suffering. And then he goes on and he says this. I have never had in my life so great an inlet into the word of God as now. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before were made in this place and stayed to shine upon me. Jesus Christ also was never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen him and felt him indeed. I want to tell you as you go through the storms, as you walk through the fires, Jesus will be with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. Get into his word, learn his word, find him in his covenant, look to Jesus. Let me finish with George Matheson. George Matheson was a poet and a preacher. At the age of 20, he discovered he was going to, blind, to be blind, and so his fiance broke off their engagement. He ended up living with his sister, and then his sister fell in love, and she was to be married, and so he found out he was going to be living alone. With such fear and such upset, the night before she got married, he wrote this hymn. O oh, love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thy ocean depths flow, may richer, fuller be. O oh, joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain, and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. Well, that's it for another episode of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly... Why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.